Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Give somebody a fist bump next to you. Go. Fist bump, go. How many of you have ever gone water skiing? Can I see hand group therapy? Okay, so first time I ever went water skiing, I was 10 years old. I weighed about 62 pounds, and I did not want to do it. Uh, one of my friends went once, one of my friends went twice, one guy went three times, one guy liked it so much he went four times. About four o'clock in the afternoon, they pointed at me and they said, Old Shine, it's your turn, you've got to go. For those of you who've never gone water skiing, here's the deal, you've got a thing called a life jacket. Everybody say life jacket. And then you have to actually get out of the boat into the water and you have to put your ski on one at a time. If you're a rookie, this is a complicated deal. And I'm 10 years old. So I get on one ski and then as I'm fitting the right one on, I start to put the left one on. As I put the left one on, the right one comes off. That's what happens to every rookie. I'm out in the water 45 minutes trying to get my skis together. The boat is going around me in shark-like fashion, and my friends are screaming, relax, relax, relax. And how many of you know it's not easy? You're 10 years old. You're intimidated. you got peer pressure. And my friends are expecting me to get this thing together. So finally, finally, I get the skis together. You're supposed to, you're supposed to get the skis straight, grab the handle of the rope, and then with your other hand say, time to go. Got it? So I wave my hand. The boat pulls me up. They did not tell me one important thing. You got to stand up. So I'm like this. And, also, and the, boat, the water's just dousing me. And finally, I stand up, and I'm doing okay. But, you know, again, I'm 62 pounds. I'm not very strong. And my friend's going like that. Does anyone know what that means? Go over the, thank you, not shark, thank you. Go over the wake. So I'm like, okay, booyah, did good. And then all of a sudden, they go that way, help me out. That means go over the wake, very good. Go that way. I'm doing great. But I hit something. I'm not sure. Hippopotamus. I hit something and I went flying. Now, they didn't tell me another important thing. Let go of the rope. So I'm holding onto the rope and this thing is pulling me and I'm going, doo, 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 doo. I'm sucking air. I'm sucking wind. And finally, after about 75 yards, I let go of the rope. And when I let go of the rope, I realized two things. Number one, my skis were gone. And number two, my swim trunks are gone. It's not funny. Even the fish went yuck. It took me seven years to get the courage and the guts to water ski again. I was 17 years old. And that year, I did not lose my swim trunks. You know how? Staple gun. Just teasing. Okay. Now, fear is a very real thing. Would you agree? Fear is a very real thing. And for seven years, I was afraid of water skiing. I want us to look this morning at a passage that deals with the Israelites moving from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land in their journey and getting to the promised land, they had overcome lots of walls. And one of those walls was fear. And one of those walls was shame. Now, I'm a professor, and so i got to quiz you a little bit. So I'm going to play a little fear game with you. And if you think you know it, shout it out. All right? If you know this answer, tell me what it is. Claustrophobia. Just scream it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, arachnophobia. Yeah, yeah, you got that one. Dentophobia. Fear of dentists. Karen's got that. Okay. Glossophobia. I'm doing it right now. Public speaking. Very good. Podiaphobia. Fear of feet. Podiatrist. Excellent. Venestrophobia. Fear of beautiful women. Yes. Yes. Some of the senior guys have that. Yeah. And the last one, luposlipophobia. Luposlipophobia. You're not going to get it. So here you go. The fear of being pursued by timberwolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. That, that is Dr. Berenzi's biggest fear. Moses has died. And he hands the baton of leadership to a guy named Joshua. Moses has died, and Joshua's big task is to lead almost three million Jewish rascals through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And we're going to read a scripture, and we're going to try to read it collectively together. I know this is always a challenge if we can put that scripture up. Can you guys see that back there behind me? All right, we're going to try to read it together. And this will be, there's always one person that tries to mess you up. I know that's the little David Olshine out there, but let's try to coincide together. Here we go. Ready? I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have you ever been discouraged? You ever been afraid? Sure you have. I was raised in a Jewish family, and I was told at the age of five years old, as a Jewish, Reformed Jewish kid, uh, we believe in God, we don't believe in Jesus. And I said, okay, five years old. And so I grew up going to the Jewish synagogue uh, on a Sabbath. I always liked the Jewish girls more than I liked the Torah. And at the age of 12 years old, I would go off to a, a Jewish athletic camp. Uh, which we refer to in Judaism as an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Two terms that are incompatible, like uh, jumbo shrimp, um, pretty ugly, freezer burn, and living dead. These are called oxymorons, terms that are incompatible. So I went to this Jewish athletic camp, and at the end of that summer, I came home, and my parents asked me what I wanted for dinner. Now, I am a steak and potatoes guy. Could I get a... Could I get... Thank you. And so... I said, can we, can we have steak and potatoes? And they were like, sure. And so during the, uh, after we ate, my dad said, uh, let's watch a TV show. And so we did. And then halfway through, he got up and turned it off. And I said, hey, what'd you do that for? He said, your mother and I have something to tell you. I said, what's that? He said, um, um, your mother and I are getting divorced. I said, excuse me? Now, I'm 12 years old. Didn't see this coming. I'd been gone away for six weeks for the uh, camp. And it felt like someone had gotten a knife and just cut me open. And I, I remember running into my room. I'm, you know, 12 years old. I remember just crying my eyes out. And finally I fell asleep. And the next morning I said, so what's, what's the plan, Mom? And she said, well, you and I are going to move to Cincinnati. And uh, 
where her mom lived. And I said, really? And I'd lived in the same house. I don't know if anyone can relate. I'd lived in the same house my whole life. I'd gone to one school. I had the same set of friends. I did not know anyone from a divorced family. So we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. I was so angry and ticked off. I didn't say one word to my mom that whole trip from Nashville, Tennessee to Cincinnati, Ohio. And I decided on that car trip that I would live for me. I just, I just made the decision, when I get to Cincinnati, I'm going to do whatever I want when I want it. And I'm not proud of my past, but I, I found some guys who were, they were smokers, and then they were drinkers, and they did marijuana, and they did all these heavy drugs, and I started to follow this crowd. And um, when I was 18 years old, I was in a car wreck, and a car was demolished. And the first thing the policeman said to me was, son, God saved you. And I said, no, it was just luck. And he said, son, I hate, I hate when they call you son. Son, God saved you. And uh, those words stuck with me for a whole year. Toward the end of my senior year of high school, uh, my African-American friend, uh, Dwayne Noble, asked me if I would go to his all-black church. And so I said, well, I'm Jewish. I don't, I don't believe in that stuff. He said, well, just come one time. He goes, if you come with me, I'll go to your synagogue. I was like, no, you don't want to come to the synagogue. Trust me. No, um, it's not that fun. I said, okay, I'll go. And so I went, and there was 400 African-Americans and one white Jewish honky. And uh, we were there. We were there four hours. Okay, so African-American churches, they go long. And so um, I remember leaving that place, and I didn't know what they had. But I remember thinking they've got something that I don't have. They have some joy and they have some peace. But I didn't make a decision yet. And he started to talk to me about Jesus, Yeshua. And then one day he said, um, he said to me, uh, did, you know that, um, did you know that Jesus was Jewish? I was like, no. He said, you know his followers were Jewish? Nope. Did you know there's 300 predictions in the Old Testament that lead to believing that Jesus was I knew none of this. And I said, you're, you're not one of those Jesus freaks, are you? And he said, no, no, Jesus doesn't make people into freaks, but he takes freaks and makes them into people. I said, okay, touche, that was cute. <laughs> For three hours, he told me about Jesus as a Jew, Jesus in the Old Testament. And I remember leaving that night thinking, man, I'm really confused because my rabbis taught me to not believe this. So I went off to Ohio University, the number two party school in America, and I met some Jesus followers there. This was the start of the Jesus movement. And it was kind of in the middle of the Jesus movement and the, the charismatic movement. And, and eventually, the Lord began to do something in my life. And I remember one night um, uh, just getting on my knees and, and asking Jesus, if you're real, come into my life. And within the next ser series of weeks and months, the Lord began to do something in me and it began to change me. And I remember throwing away all my drugs and, and my cigarettes and, and the Lord began to internally change me, not, not just externally. And so uh, I felt called to ministry. I didn't know what that meant. So I went to a place called Asbury Seminary, which is just experienced. Maybe you've heard of Asbury University, Asbury Revival, or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's been happening for about two and a half weeks. And how many of you, how many of you went there who just went to visit? Let's, let's hear a scream, okay? Can we... Could, we, could you scream? Thank you. Thank you for that one scream. Thank you. And so my wife, who wasn't my wife then, she went to Asbury, and it was called Asbury College, and I went to the seminary, and the seminary deans gave us a speech the first day, do not go over to the college. And you know, there were 700 of us guys and like 30 women at the seminary, don't go over to the college. And I was like, why? Well, because the girls at Asbury College will think you're stalking. And so... Um, that's just, you know, for me, that's like an invitation to go. And so my, 
My roommate and I, Dan Hawk, uh, who's now a professor at a, at a seminary in Old Testament, he and I went over there. And so uh, uh, the dean asked me later, why are you stalking? I said, I'm not stalking, I'm just walking. And so we went over and we went into this dorm. We heard loud praise music. And so Rhonda was there and she was this beautiful brunette and freckles and she was praying for the Jewish people. And so I met her and I introduced myself and then I didn't see her for a year. And then a year later, she came over to the seminary to study one day and they had these big beams just like those. You can see those. And uh, I had these big, thick, like 80s glasses. Does anyone remember those? Those big, thick 80s glasses. And I said, hey, I'm David Oshine. I'm a Jewish Christian. I'm Messianic. You were praying for the Jewish people. I met you a year ago, but you don't remember me. And I tried to be funny because that's what guys try to do. And I'm kind of going, <laughs> and she's going, oh, you're so stupid, right? I was like, well, it's good to meet you. I hope to see you again. I had, remember, I had big, thick glasses on. I didn't know this, but the wall was right behind me. I said, see you later. Boom! <laughs> Ran right into that wall, broke my glasses in half. And I think she felt sorry for me, kind of the, you know, Florence Nightingale effect. And we got married. And so um, <laughs> here's a picture of our dating. Um, any, any, uh, any Seinfeld fans? All right. You like, you like the Kramer haircut? All right, next slide. There we go. There's the engaged picture. Uh, throw money. Okay. Um, next slide. Here's our wedding. There we go. All right. Lean and mean, David Olshine with the mustache. I had fears about getting married. I had fears if I, because my parents were divorced. I had fears uh, would would this wall of fear block my relationship with Rhonda. And so Joshua had the same kind of thing going on that we do. He had to lead this group of people from one place to another. Now, Joshua 5 tells us the story of going through these walls. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses. So when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or against us? Neither, I, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your shoes, your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And then the Lord said to Joshua, go conquer Jericho. I will give it into your hands. All you have to do is for six days walk around the city. Blow the ram's horn in front of the ark. The walls of Jericho were impenetrable. They were built to be, in, to be not, you couldn't destroy it. There were outer war, walls and there were inner walls. And the Jewish people did not want to go through Jericho because the people of Jericho, they were, they were treacherous. The scripture says in Deuteronomy that they've committed detestable sins. They even burned their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. They, they, these were such brutal folks. They burned their children alive in fire. So the Jewish people, the Israelites, did not want to go there. But they knew that the only way into the promised land was they had to go through Jericho and they had to knock the walls down. But God has shown up to Joshua in, the, in, in, a, in a figure that's considered famous, kind of mysterious. Not many scholars know who this is. It could have been an angel. Uh, 
could have been God himself. It could have been a divine messenger. It could have been kind of Jesus before Jesus was Jesus, if that makes any sense. So he met this famous person. Have you ever met a famous person? I met a famous person in 2015. Uh, my wife and I and son, we were on a, what's called a sabbatical here at CIU. And I went to teach at a college in England. And one day we wanted to do something, a play, we had a play day. And so my wife, who loves history, said, let's go to the Hatfield House. Now, the Hatfield House was built in 1611. So we went there. And as soon as we get there, the people said to us, sorry, you can't come in. We're closed. I was like, really? Why? Well, something special is going to happen. Well, you can walk around, but everything's closed, but you can still walk around. So we're walking around. And all of a sudden, we see these secret service. Have you ever tried to talk to a secret service person? They do not want to be talked to. Okay, so like you could like go, hello, peekaboo, and they, they just wouldn't do anything. They just kind of look right through you. So I went up to this British lady. I said, what's going on? She says, Prince Charles is coming. I said, really? That's, he's going to be thrilled to meet me. This is awesome. So we stuck around. <laughs> we stuck around for a while. And finally, my wife, who is brilliant, said, David, if you and Andrew go that direction, he's going to go through that little building and come out. He's going to get some cufflinks. And if you stand right over there, he'll be there. So I went over there. And, uh, you know, push a couple old ladies aside. And, and, and then he, he walked out and he looked at me and he reached out his hand and shook my hand. Now, I didn't know what you're supposed to do with the prince. By the way, Prince Charles is going to be King Charles. Do you know that? Like within a couple weeks. And so I didn't know. That's me and Prince Charles right there, right? And uh, the, the other guys are laughing. I must have said something funny. But I got nervous. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm a professor. I'm from America. Duh. And uh, I'm teaching here, but we're also going on a cruise to Croatia, Athens, Greece, and Ephesus. He was all lovely, lovely, lovely. And then he said, well, what's, why are you really here? I said, well, the real reason I came, I got really nervous. Like, have you ever been spooked by the celebrity? I said, the real reason I'm here was to meet you. And he said, well, you've come to the right place. And I walked away. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just saw Prince Charles. And he's taking pictures of me. Ah! So this commander encounters Joshua, and Joshua is going to be changed because it's going to empower him to move forward. So I want to talk quickly before we close in a song and prayer. I want to talk about three things. Number one, your past, my past. The Israelites had a past. You and I have a past. And if we're going to knock down walls, number one, you need to know that your past does not define you. It prepares you. I could look back at all the dumb things I've done, all the decisions I've made that were stupid and poor decision-making, and I could get hung up in that. I could get hung up in all the regrets and all the things I've done that I'm not proud of. But I've, I've found it to be true that if you allow God to work in your life, your past doesn't define you. It actually prepares you for something greater. Johnny Erickson Tata, understand that. She, she was paralyzed in a, in a, in a uh, jumping off into to a lake and broke, broke her neck from here down. And she sat there in the hospital for days, just mad at God and angry and sad and bitter. But then she used that situation for good. And to this day, Johnny Erickson Tata has four special needs camps. She's written multiple bestsellers. She, she paints with a tooth, with a paintbrush in her teeth. She's used her past to empower her to the present. Your past doesn't define you, men and women. Number two, your present, just like the Israelites, is about knowing God. 
Now, some of you are here for sports. Some of you are here for business. Some of you are here for ministry. Some of you are here for English or philosophy. But I don't think you're really here for that. I think you're really here to know God. And if you miss that, you'll miss everything that's about CIU because CIU is about empowering you to know God. And I've had people tell me that sometimes it wasn't until their senior year until they really began to understand God wanted to have a relationship with them in the person of Jesus. Your past doesn't define you, it prepares you. Your present is about knowing God, and, and the Israelites understood that, that now's the time to get to know God. And third and finally, your future. Your future is about figuring out your calling. The number one dreaded question to every college student is this. What are you going to do, help me out, when you graduate? And your answer is, I don't know. And you know what? That's okay. Because part of your future involves faith and involves mystery and part of that is figuring out your calling. So here's, what I, here's how I want you to answer that question in the future. When someone says, what are you going to do when you graduate? You're going to say, I am figuring out my call. I'm figuring out God's plan for my life. See, I believe that you have a past like the Israelites. You have a present like the Israelites. And you have a future. As we close, and the band is going to come and play I'm going to offer a time of prayer for us. Because I think that for some of you, you've got some past hurts and you've never really let those go. I have a feeling that some of you in your present situation, you've become maybe lukewarm spiritually. Maybe it's a time to upgrade and update your faith. And for some of you, your future, you're scared. And I understand that. But maybe this is a time to give that to you. Maybe you say, I don't struggle with the past or the present. It's the future. Well, maybe for some of you, it's not the future or the present. It's your past. I mean, maybe it's not the past or the future. It's right now. It's like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I'd really like... We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.